I want to say the biggest aspect, but then you could argue that you need the physical health to then have that balance. And it really is, you always stress it's whole health, right? It's never just about one thing. It's never about how many minutes were you in the gym or exactly what you ate. It's like looking at the whole picture and it all feeds into the other aspects. You know, it's everything's intertwined. When we are outside and moving our body, our spirits are lifted. Podcast Junkies episode 315. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. If you are new to this show, it's the one where we seek out, we being me, <laughs> interesting voices in podcasting and getting to kick back their heels and talk about their shows and lately whatever else is on their mind and their wide ranging conversations. The podcast actually is now just the starting point for the conversation. And given the varied backgrounds, of all my recent guests and future guests, they're just going to be more and more engaging conversations with folks who have this love and passion for podcasting, in addition to all the other things that make them and their show special. If you are new to this podcast, I want to welcome you for trying this out, trying this out, spending an hour of your time with me or a half hour if you're a 2Xer. <laughs> I hope you keep coming back week after week as I'm looking to line up more engaging podcast conversations with fascinating folks in the world of podcasting. And if that's you and you'd like to throw your hat into the ring to be considered for the show, email me directly, harry at podcastjunkies.com and tell me you heard about it on this intro. In case you missed last week's episode, we spoke with fan of the show, Timothy Kim O'Brien, aka Tim. We talked about all things podcasting, art therapy, how they both can be used as powerful tools for healing and connection, his personal experiences using art therapy to help veterans work through emotional issues, and emphasizing the importance of showing empathy towards oneself, which I'm a big fan of. So great to connect with the listener of the show who's also doing great things in the podcasting space. And Tim was also the subject of my recent newsletter, which if you haven't signed up to it, it's been going for 25 weeks strong. It's at harryduran.com. It goes out every Saturday morning and it's a little taste into what's happening in my world. And it's where I let you know about new episodes when they're available. So please do that. This week, I speak with Kate Chiricello. She shares her insights on whole health, including physical, mental, and social well-being. She's a performer, a fitness professional, and a podcast host. And she emphasizes the small steps we can take to improve our health. We share experiences on 9-11 as we were both in New York City. We explore the power of podcasts to inspire and capture stories for future generations, something I'm a big fan of. Something that's been a common theme is this idea of creating a safe space for guests to share their stories and how podcasts can be used for motivation and inspiration. She's the host of her own show, Be the Good with Kate, which brings good news into the world by interviewing people who do good things and share their stories, something we could always do with more of. As a reminder, if you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast junkies. I'd love to read yours out next, so please do that. Make sure you stay to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. Okay, before we get into this uninterrupted conversation with Kate, here are a few words from the folks that support this show. This episode's brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlet 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash focus right and the link will be in the show notes as well. 
Kate Cherichello, performer, fitness professional, and host of the Be Good with Kate's podcast. Thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies. Hey, Harry. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. I was looking at your swing video on YouTube prior to jumping on the call. <laughs> It's always funny what people come across when they search, because there is definitely a history between singing, dancing, the hosting and fitness. It's, it's all there somewhere. Yep. So it, it seems like the fitness has been a big part of your life for, you know, from, from looking at, at some of the stuff that you were doing online. Is that something you resonated with like early on? Is that something that's always been important for you? You know, it's funny, growing up, I was big into dance and soccer and just very active in general. So I remember thinking at some point during, I guess it would be like middle school years, it was the first time I ever really thought about a gym just in general that it ever really came up to be in my mind and thought, wow, that would really stink if that's where you had to go to get your exercise. <laughs> I just clearly remember that thought. And it was just the, the irony of years later, I become a fitness professional and I start teaching and training. And so, yes, I've always been active, but no, not in the fitness specific kind of world. That actually came about during college, be, knowing that I was going to become a performer and move to New York City and kind of go that trajectory. What I had always been told was, oh, when you're an actor in New York, you're also a waiter. That was just kind of, and you know, this is before we had message boards and the internet and all of that. So it really was like, okay, I should become a server and get that experience. So I did in high school, that was my side job. And then when I got to college, that was my introduction to the fitness industry. The, a big fitness complex opened on Butler University's campus right when I got there. And long story short, I ended up getting certified in Pilates and spin and then kind of everything from there. And you grew up in Jersey? Yeah. Okay. And uh, you live in New York City now? Yeah, I'm right in Midtown. Okay. I grew up in Yonkers. Oh, so I'm, yeah. that's right up the road. <laughs> yeah, right up the road. And I've lived in a city. I'm in Minneapolis now. It's a long story, but... <laughs> cold one, too. <laughs> a cold one, too. But uh, yeah, I grew up in Yonkers. And uh, as soon as I could, moved into the city after college. So I've lived on the Upper East Side, East Village, and Brooklyn as well. So that's sort of my heart home will always be New York City. Yes, yes. And I've been in Hell's Kitchen the whole time for 12 years, but most people, I feel like it's getting through all the different neighborhoods, which is, it's a great way to explore. And it's an amazing city. Crazy, but amazing. And I understand you have some pretty good wine bar recommendations as well. Always, <laughs> always can give you the wine bar recommendations. I mean, Hell's Kitchen, more keep opening and and it's great. And it's neat too, just as a little aside, in New York City, I think a lot of people, especially who don't live here, think of it as very cold. You don't know your neighbors, you know, and all of those stories. But honestly, when you start to go to these small little restaurants, even if it's like once a month or once every other month, you really do start to know the owners or the other people. So it helps create community. It's something like a random side effect of learning about the different businesses around. I was there for 9-11 and that was obviously a major experience. And what was fascinating, I was living in the East Village and the day after, it's a very traumatic experience for the city, but it was interesting. You felt like a small town feel like people were like walking on the streets and be like, oh, how are you doing? How's it going? Like how? And it was just rare for, as a New York City, you know, native, you know that you could be on a New York City subway with like 
a hundred people and, and no one's making eye contact. So like, it's really interesting, you know, people just doing their own thing. And, but it was, a, it was an interesting time and special time during those few, few months. It just kind of brought everyone closer and kind of alluded to a little bit of that little town feel that you get or small city feel sometimes. And it, I do miss that, that experience because it's, it really brings everyone closer together. But New York is a special place. I think it's not for everyone. And the energy is really interesting. It's it's a lot for some people. And I know sometimes still when I get out of the taxi in downtown New York City, I, I love the buzz. I just like, you just feel the energy of like the city is alive. But for some people, it's overwhelming. Like they're just like, oh, get me out of here oh, 100%. as quick as possible. Yeah. And I don't know about you when you were living here, but I know like living in, especially Midtown, I love living here. I love the convenience of being able to walk everywhere, but I need to leave. Like my parents are in Western New Jersey where it's really quiet. So I take any excuse to go out there and visit or my, my in-laws are Rhode Island. And it's just like, yes, I will hop on a train and go out at any time because I think it's also important to leave to then want to come back again. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And prior to Minneapolis, I lived in LA for four years. So I got the taste. I got a taste of that coast and I got to enjoy that weather for a bit as well. <laughs> it's a different big city vibe. It's funny because it's New York City and it's LA, but it's thankfully I was still work, I was had my business and I was working from home in LA, so I didn't have to deal with the traffic. But uh, it's at least 45 minutes to get anywhere. <laughs> that's what I always hear, right? 45 yeah. minutes is somewhere that's like two miles away, right? Yeah. In the city sometimes too, if you're in a cab and it's traffic, I imagine. And that's why too, I'm like, I'll always just walk. If it's, it might be 45 minutes to walk, but I'd choose that over having to check to a subway or a taxi or something like that. Yeah. So what was your experience like during COVID? Because I heard a lot of stories. One of my best friends still lives in there. And, you know, I, I saw the stuff on the video and I obviously have been back a couple of times, but like, how was it, you know, as you're leading up to it, experiencing it and then you know, the couple of years after, because even here in Minneapolis, which was ground zero for like, you know, the, the George Floyd riots as well. And COVID, that one, two punch was basically me in lockdown. I didn't know anything about this city for like until 2022, because we just didn't get out. Had you moved there pretty much at the start of COVID? 2019, late at end of 2019. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to discover the city. And then nope, not for two years. Yeah. And it was very odd here. And I'm sure you heard from your friend and just visiting too. I mean, leading up to COVID, I had just come back from being on tour with Jersey Boys and being on the opposite coast and just came back. And then we hit winter. And then right after winter, you know, or not even right after winter, we go into this. And there were people that didn't leave their apartments. And that was the thing I couldn't understand because to me, and again, this ties in fitness, but also just like my personality as a whole, I need to be outside, I need to be moving. And having that to just escape was so needed for me. And I think people got so scared that I would hear stories of people just not leaving. I was like, wow, the number one thing I had to do was exit my apartment. Now, this didn't mean I was seeing anyone, but I would go and just walk on these empty roads. And it was crazy. You think of midtown Manhattan being empty and it was. You could, my husband's a big runner and he did a long training run and he ran up, I think it was 11th Avenue, which if you've ever driven in New York, you know, the gridlock on 11th at Lincoln Tunnel and all of that. Yeah. Ran all the way up to Harlem, ran across 125th Street, not on the sidewalk, on the street itself. Wow. Ran down, I think it was Park and then came back via the 40s, which is just like all of these streets that are normally so jam packed, you couldn't even imagine being on the street and the sidewalks themselves are usually so busy. So it was a very odd, quiet there. It was nice in some ways for as terrible a time it was right to be able to actually move around without 
running into people, but very eerie. We live right by the Hudson River Greenway, which is this beautiful oh, area yeah. that yeah, a lot of tourists don't realize is there. And it's just it's flowers and greenery and the piers on the Hudson River. So that was a saving grace during the pandemic because it was kind of the only place we could go. And every day it was just getting outside, no matter what the weather, moving the body, getting the air, and then going back in. So that was a big marker for us during the pandemic. Another thing, you know, it becomes a joke in a lot of conversation, but you know you're married to the right person, or you really love your roommates, or you're good with your family. You go through the pandemic, and we're in 630 square feet, and we were there all day, every day, and we still love each other. So that's a great sign. <laughs> and so there's that aspect. And then there was when things started to come back to life a bit, you know, a lot of empty storefronts and Times Square just with garbage everywhere. And, you know, it was like videos that you'd see from the 90s or the 80s. But now today, uh, things like that. And then, of course, there was the day where there was all the looting that happened, the riots and walking down Broadway after that was this, I mean, you probably had similar after everything that happened in Minneapolis. It was just like everybody cleaning up their storefronts that had glass smashed and boarding up the giant Macy's on 34th Street. Just these sites that really do feel like a movie or a TV show or something like that, but were real and really happening. And then, I mean, I could go on and on about details, but then moving forward to see the life come back and but there, the media still depicts it, I feel like, often as this, like, oh, New York's still a wasteland or it's still scary. And honestly, there's people everywhere. We're back to the Broadway theaters being filled. We're back to having to push through tourists to get anywhere. So it's really, you know, I don't know the economics of exactly where it's at, comparatively speaking, but it definitely feels like the life again. Yeah, it's so interesting. And, and there's all these discussions about all this residential, I mean, all this commercial real estate downtown and, you know, how dynamic of used to think like, oh, there's no way certain companies can work remotely. You know, companies would say like, no, that's impossible. And then when you're forced into this experiment and then you're like, oh yeah, you can do it. And there's a lot of people that are just not ready to go back or will never go back into an office again. And, you know, when you think about a city that lives, you know, or or especially like a downtown area like Manhattan. And I used to work on 57th Street. I used when my corporate days, I used to work on Water Street downtown. So like I did the commute. And so I I can I remember the influx of people that would just come in from all the boroughs and just you know, just make their way into downtown and all those high-rise buildings and just imagining like, you know, what those challenges are like. And then obviously people are talking about, well, let's make it into housing and it's expensive real estate. So <laughs> I don't know what the, the what that looks like. But it's it speaks to this the resiliency of New Yorkers as well. So I, I think just always can bounce back. It is true. It is true. And it's funny to see too some of the companies that are like, we want you in the office one to two days a week. And the only reason is because they have all this corporate real estate. But, I mean, there is there is so much yeah. to be said about having a community around you and not being all by yourself at home sometimes and things like that. But I am from I teach in corporate fitness. So the the murmurings I am hearing are people are really liking the hybrid idea of you know, they have their days at home and they really like working from home. But those like couple days to be in that office environment are seeming to be beneficial as well. So having had uh, fitness and movement as part of your your life or you know, most of your adult life, can you speak to maybe the importance of if you've experienced what happens when you don't have it or how beneficial it's been, you know, even from a mental health perspective, because that's something that I've been noticing recently as well in terms of like 
conversations with my partner or just personal experience? Yeah, absolutely. The mental health, I feel like is the, I want to say the biggest aspect, but then you could argue that you need the physical health to then have that balance. And it really is, you know, I always stress it's whole health, right? It's never just about one thing. It's never about how many minutes were you in the gym or exactly what you ate. It's like looking at the whole picture and it all feeds into the other aspects. You know, it's everything's intertwined. When we are outside and moving our body, our spirits are lifted. I mean, studies have proven that so many times, similar to when we're talking to other human beings, right? Having that social health lifts us up. And there's so much, I mean, the research is so fascinating too, when you look at like the hormones and like the, that boost your energy levels and your happy hormones and all of that. And again, how all of the physical health, the social health, the mental health, it's all interlaced and it all makes a difference. I mean, my, it, and any of my fitness accounts, my biggest thing is hashtag every bit counts. And that's what I always talk to my clients about. And I really loved working. I mean, I always loved the motivation factor of group fitness and having those big groups and everybody feeds off one another. But now I've also in recent years doing a lot of health coaching clients. And what's so neat about that is it goes beyond like you're there beyond that one time a week in the gym. You're getting to talk to them about, well, why is it that you feel this way? And how can we get you to move your body? Or what is it that we don't know about food that could be really helpful to know. And the I think one of the most interesting aspects of all of that is how it's those small steps that really do boost physical and mental well-being as a whole. And it, it doesn't have to be an hour in the gym and I have to eat only these five foods and X, Y, and Z and check every box. It's that can I, if I'm in a suburb, park further away every time. So I get those extra steps. It's, can I take a walk outside in the morning or can I go through a breathing routine at night, you know, seven minutes here, three minutes there and learning, you know, maybe five new things about nutrition that might make a huge difference just in how you even are mindful about what we put in our bodies. So there's so much to it, but people get overwhelmed, but it really is taking a few things and a few steps that really make such a big difference. Yeah, that's helpful advice. Can you tell a story of someone you've coached or someone you've worked with? And you can change the names, obviously, to protect folks' privacy. But is this is there someone something that stands out for you in terms of a, a transformation? Obviously, because because you see people at where they're at, where they're struggling, what they're having challenges with, and what they need help with. They start working with you, or you start doing some coaching with them, and you can see over time like how that's transformed their lives. Gosh, I feel like 25 stories just like flew into my brain all at the same time. Just to, I'll give you two short mini ones real quick. One is someone I love dearly and have known forever. And she's in that, like, I'm like in the inner 60s and gone through like slowing down metabolism and all of that. And she's finally at a point in her life of, I need to do something for myself because she's one of those people always there for other people. And she always has been her whole life. That's just her personality. And she's all love. And to kind of see her is get open to ways that she can really take health in her own hands and that she doesn't have to end up on a bunch of medications or end up like other family members did because they weren't conscious of it. And just we would have a phone call each week, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, just to talk over things. And that's all it needed because it was just like that she would ask questions, I would talk about experiences and that mix that back and forth conversation. And it really was constant conversation each week was just so eye opening. And just to see someone 
take hold of all of this and digest it in a different way. And she realized, you know, that, that she likes intermittent, intermittent fasting. And so that's great. And again, just to show there's no one size fits all that totally doesn't work for me, but I know it works for a lot of people. So I was so fully supportive. And she realized, oh my gosh, this is making all the difference. And even just taking out the processed food from her kitchen and putting in other foods was all the change that she needed there. And just to see giant results from those, like, I'm going to take, you know, X, Y, and Z and make that happen this year. And that's what she did. And it's consistency. And I said it would be short, so I'll leave it there. But that's been so cool. What I love about that specific example is how you mentioned breaking patterns, whether it's family patterns, whether it's generational patterns, and also being like a role model. And if she's in her 60s, and, and it could be something generational where, you know, I grew up on Lucky Charms and like, like crazy, like the stuff that I put in my body, the McDonald's Happy Meals, like that I'm surprised like sometimes like the body is resilient. That just shows you how resilient like the human body is. And, and then uh, if you imagine that it, that it can function on that, Imagine if you were just like, put the good stuff in there, how much better it would be. And that's just kind of a, a learning process. But I think for folks of her age as well, it's just like, they didn't know any better. And it's also like, how can you compete against a marketing machine that, you know, milk, it does the body good. I just remember these taglines, you know, beef, it's what's for dinner. Like this, I literally, like, I know all the commercials and the jingles from all the, all the crappy food, like it's just programmed into you. And so I think you know, showing that even at that age, she can make a, a transformation. There's that people in her immediate circle that start to see that and are influenced by that as well, which I love. 100%. I mean, that's you're hitting the nail on the head. Absolutely. And just being like awoken to sounds so deep, but I'm just like getting the knowledge of that we should read labels and the difference that that makes of just, and people go, oh my gosh, this is in, I can't pronounce this. What is this? Like, why is this in what I'm eating? Like, exactly. That's the problem, you know, and there's so much of that. And it gets me infuriated. But on the flip side, I get so excited when I see people do start to do this and consciously say, okay, even if the front of the box says great for kids or 70% less fill in the blank, right? It's like, no, read the back. I mean, how many kids snacks are just pumped with sugar? I mean, even the first ingredient, sugar. Yeah. Or the, the, that Heinz just made a deal with like some school board and they're going to provide snackables as the lunch for kids. It's like if there was ever a reason to like homeschool your kids, like that would be like number one. Like you send them over there, the education they're getting, who knows nowadays if it's even viable for this world that we live in. And, and then on top of that, they're not even being given proper nutrition. Like it's crazy because... I mean, back in my day, it was probably just grilled cheese and hot dogs, which compared to what they're serving now is probably better, <laughs> but it wasn't good. But it's still like compared to like thinking about Heinz snackables, like these little things in these plastic containers, like, man, that's that's sad and depressing. And it's like even the like growing up, like to your point, you know, my mom was very much a cook and she would make these great dinners and all of that. But we didn't have that knowledge back then that, oh, yeah, but you're giving me a Lunchable to take to school. Like we just, she, it's not that she was like, have it cause it's quick and cheap. It was just have it cause it looks good and you enjoy it because we didn't have that knowledge and having the McDonald's. Well, it's a 
quote unquote, I say treat on the way to rehearsal. But really, it's like, I wonder why I had stomach aches every morning, like in seventh and eighth grade. And I think about my diet at the time. I had pancakes every morning in seventh and eighth grade, I remember. And I had a ton of McDonald's and like bagels with cream cheese. And the second all that stuff got out of my diet, all those other issues stopped. And I think today there's a lot more awareness around this, but it's just, there's such a long way to go still. Now you got me thinking of everything bagel with cream cheese. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we're making up very hungry, but. Well, it's a New York thing. Like I do miss the bagel, so. Yeah, and there's so many healthier alternatives to like the same vibe of food, you know, that are available that always have been, but now even more so are available. That That's another aspect I know that I love working in the fitness world is just like, again, seeing people realize these alternatives to Happy Meals or the giant New York size bagel or, you know, all of that. Yeah. Or understanding what you're signing up for. Like I'm for the most part, my, my partner are gluten-free. So that gluten-free uh, bread and pizza is not really meant to be gluten-free. Sorry. But like as a New Yorker, I'm just like, that's the one thing where it's like, okay, it's gotta be like regular pizza. And then a bagel too, obviously, like it's like, but it, you have to know what you're in for. We take glutenese, you know, if we take it. So that helps with, you know, digestion, but it's just like a once every couple of months thing. And, and you know what you're signing up for. You're not making it part of it, like your, your regular life. So I think it's important to, to, to educate yourself and, and know what you're putting in your body as well. Yeah. And not to like beat yourself up if you decide to get the fettuccine Alfredo at the restaurant one night, because it's if you're not having that every single day, then like enjoy the treat, but really enjoy it if you're going to choose it. Because especially like I see people beat themselves up like, oh, I shouldn't. Again, quotes I'm using. It shouldn't do this or shouldn't have that. But it's like, no, if you want the New York pizza, fully enjoy it. And it's that once in a blue moon and we need a balance because if we're too extreme, nothing's going to work. Yeah. Did you have a second story you wanted to share as well? Oh yeah. Just another, another person that she, I had a long standing class at one of the corporate gyms. It was at 6am each Tuesday and Thursday and it was all men and they were the most intense batch of humans I've ever trained. And I loved it. It was so fun for me because it was just throw anything at him. And one day this woman walked in and she was probably like late forties at the time. And she looked really nervous and she stood in the back. And first of all, that she walked in that door with all these intense men at 6am, I was already really proud of her, but then she came back and that just was a whole other level. And she became the number one, like most loyal person at the gym every day. And she wasn't looking to become like a fitness model or to lose 50 pounds. She just wanted to be healthy for life. And she recognized, you know, that this was a lifestyle adjustment. And she's just someone that like always brings a smile to my face when I think about those like first days when she walked in around all these intense people and she stood in the back and did her slow squats while they were doing all this crazy stuff. And then months and months go by and she's right there with them. And it was just so fun to see, you know, why like taking that step out of your comfort zone in anything in life, right? You don't know until you try. And if you keep trying, you're going to get better no matter where you start. So I always love that story about her too. Back to like the movement and the performance you mentioned in, in when you were in Jersey that, you know, this idea of getting into the city to, to, you know, do theater. Was that something that's always been a, a goal for you just to, to perform on stage? 
Yeah, and I don't know where exactly it came from, but for as far back as I can remember, I mean, I'd watch Sound of Music and Annie on repeat when I was little and just sing everywhere. And I started with a community theater when I was eight and just became in love with all of it. What's your go-to when people come to the city in terms of a can't-miss show? Oh, good question. <laughs> I mean, lately there's been so many coming and going and it's unfortunately, you know, some good ones too that, that haven't stayed around, but depending on the demographic and the makeup of who's coming in, you know, you know to recommend Wicked or Hamilton because they're, they're classics for a reason. I mean, Six is just a great time on Broadway. It's so much fun. It's just, there's so many. Six is the Henry Eighth Six Wives. It's basically a rock concert and it got a ton of press leading up to it and ton of social media following and okay. Gen Z really took it and fell in love with it. Very catchy music. I mean, my husband, who's not a performer in any way, shape or form, can't stop singing those songs. So <laughs> yeah, it's just a good time. Yeah. But there's so much. It's just like going to see a show. I think one of the things that draws me to theater and screen as well, but there's something about the audience, no matter where they were mentally and physically before they walk in, you're all there having a shared experience, but you're experiencing it in such a different way. And, you know, maybe today you really needed to laugh. And you walked in there and you got to just laugh and leave your troubles behind. Maybe you really needed to think and you get to sit down and just have think or see something from a different perspective. That's something that I'm really obsessed with is how, you know, when we see and it goes with going to a museum, it goes with watching a television show from a unique perspective. I mean, there's so much watching a documentary where you can really just see things from a different perspective, which is so important in life and our world, especially right now. Yeah, that's helpful. I think about the experience you have, like when I go to a comedy show, because we do some comedy shows here, or even some of those like Cirque du Soleil shows like in Vegas, and you're just like, you're pulled into this world. And like, I've seen Lion King, Wicked. And so like, it's a, it's a, sort of like this ex immersive experience. And to your point, I think they do it so well that it just, you're in another world for those couple of hours. And it's, it's really helpful, I think, to just in terms of like, separate yourself from what's happening outside sometimes and just kind of decompress. So I've heard good things about Jersey Boys as well. I mean, I'm a little partial, but <laughs> it's one of my all-time <laughs> favorites. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have a lot of arts there, though, in Minneapolis? Yeah, there's uh, some, a couple of shows, but mostly comedy shows is kind of, we spend some time there. And so, okay. and then we've been to like uh, Vegas on, on conferences. And so we try to ca always catch a show when we're there as well. How is it uh, performing on Jersey Boys as a Jersey girl? <laughs> that, well, the funny part of that to me, I mean, it's just a little chuckle that I always had was in the entire cast my role in Jersey Boys, I mean, when you're a girl in Jersey Boys, you play multiple roles, but my main role was someone named Lorraine, who was the only person in the cast that wasn't from New Jersey. And yet me, Kate, was the only person in the cast from New Jersey. So I don't know, it made me laugh. <laughs> but <laughs> but what was neat about performing, we did the ship tour. So we were in Canada and Mexico, California, Seattle, and people in our cast were from Scotland and Ireland and Australia and Zimbabwe and here in America. So it was a really neat experience from that regard, too. Very interesting. So let's pivot a little into the world of podcasting. I'm curious when they came on your radar. Did you just start as a listener? That's a great question. So I did start as a listener. I would just you know, going back to the walks during the height of COVID. 
that was, I went through, oh my gosh, I wonder if I counted how many podcasts I listened to. Like I can imagine that maybe this was you too, <laughs> just listening nonstop. They're so motivational. You can learn so much from them and there's just an unending amount of them. So that is how I started. But then how Be The Good With Kate started was I was at the point where all the news around me was just negative news. And obviously we needed to hear about it. We need to know what's going on around us. But I also needed that lift and that reminder that there are still good people working hard to make the world a better place all around us too. So that paired with my whole industry shut down as far as the entertainment industry. So a way to keep my on-camera muscles going and also bring this good news into the world thought, let's do this show. And I started by, I'll put it on YouTube. I'll make it a podcast. We'll see what happens. And the podcast aspect has grown a lot. I still put it on YouTube just again to have that like interview style, something happening. And it has brought me such a lift. I mean, how many days Uh, Maybe you could speak to this too, that you just don't feel like talking to someone and you're tired and then you hear someone's story and you're like, oh my gosh, how neat is that? Or what a cool perspective, right? Yeah, totally. So that really, it brought me just so many good vibes, so to speak, and how the initial start was going to kind of any project that you might want to start in life, right? It's just that first step is oftentimes the hardest one. And so when I knew this was going to be an interview style show, I reached out to two people. And once you send that email, you're stuck, right? Well, if they say, yes, I have to do this now because I can't leave them in the lurch. And that's how it started. They both said yes. And we had a show. Did you think a lot about the format or the content or what you wanted to talk about or a specific type of guest for the show in those early days? Good question. At the beginning, I was really inspired by John Krasinski's Some Good News. Did you happen to see when he did that? I did see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I first called it Some More Good News because he had stopped. And I was like, oh, it's the same vibe. So, And of course, he had a lot of people come on and a lot more segments. I thought even if I could just get one person, the way that I decided to format it, which was helpful for me to then not stress about it, because I thought if I'm going to continue this and have to think of new questions every time, it just felt overwhelming at the start. So I thought, let me get a set question format and then have them be very open-ended and we'll see what happens there. And honestly, it has changed very little in the 80 some episodes because people have such amazing responses to them all. So I asked them five questions and then of course, follow-ups happen, you know, to dive deeper, but people really do. You give an open-ended question and people, I mean, you hear me talking right now, right? (laughs) People will talk and just hearing all the different stories and to answer the question about like what type of guest, it really just started with me racking my brain on who do I know who does what you would call good things in the world that you could talk about that are interesting, that are different. So, you know, I know someone who owns an animal shelter. I reached out to her. My acupuncturist like changed my world after a concussion, reached out to her, you know, just like all these different people, a choreographer who I know is doing like these, a lot of projects for to help others. So it started with that. And then of course you start to get recommendations and whatnot. And then I got featured on a podcast newsletter and then I had over 200 people reach out to me saying, I'd love to be a guest. So now we're, we're set for a long while ahead. Yeah. Yeah. But now I'm curious, can I flip this question back to you? How did you start podcast junkies then? I, my original passion growing up in New York city was DJing. 
I've been a DJ. I still have my turntables now. I grew up learning on vinyl. I would go to like clubs. And so that's like my, at 16, I like said, I was like, I'd love DJing. Cause I just love the ability of the DJ to control the energy of a room, which has been always fascinating for me. Like depending on how they play the music in what order and that they can be essentially are kind of lifting the spirits of the people. Right. You know? And so it's, and then maintaining it, continuing it. And as a DJ, like you see people dancing and then when they leave the dance floor, you're like, well, that song didn't work. And you're like, you got to think on your feet. So it's, it's been always fascinating. So I was working on a mobile app in like 2018 called Know Your DJ with a friend of mine to try to like about the electronic music industry. And it was almost like a mobile app, but just for electronic music, like Pandora, but except for just DJs. So I had built it and I went to a podcast conference called New Media Expo. And uh listener is being really patient because they've probably heard the story several times. But I think it's important because I'll get new listeners as well. So when I got there, Pat Flynn was speaking, Amy Porterfield was speaking, and I was like, oh, this podcasting world is really interesting. And you can relate to this. I also studied acting in New York for three years, you know, so I, I did that for a while. So I was familiar with Inside the Actor Studio. And what James Lipton did, which was wonderful, was have this like really relaxed conversation with actors for an hour. And you're like, well, I've never seen like, you know, Bradley Cooper or whatever, like just relaxed and just talk about his life. And just like, so I thought about that podcast and then someone asked something, who's a podcast junkie, I think at the conference. And I was like, oh, that's a cool name. So kind of put all the pieces together. I came back, I shifted. I said, I'm not going to start a podcast to interview DJs because it's going to be a nightmare trying to track those guys down. <laughs> like They're traveling the world. So let's interview podcasters. And what I thought also I said, I don't know anyone in the space. And the best way to meet people in the space is to meet other podcasters. And what better way to meet them is to have them come on the show. And then I wanted that face-to-face -face interaction because I knew the connection is more important because a lot of people were just doing audio back then. And I said, I don't want to do audio because, you know, you don't get any body reaction, you know, body language. And so I just started looking at people who were in the space and inviting them on the show. Like Elsie Escobar from Lipson was like one of my first early guests, Dave Jackson, School of Podcasting, all the people that I was listening to in the space. And over time, just build up visibility in the space. I've done 310 episodes, still going strong since then. And as a result of everything I learned there, I launched my podcast production agency in 2015, Fullcast. And so we produce shows for clients, but it was me doing everything for a year, joining some business masterminds and realizing there's another entrepreneurial world out there of people who like understand what their time is worth and don't want to do any of that. They just want to talk. <laughs> and so it's a complete done for you service. And so just kind of put those two together. And then I started the second show, Vertical Farming Podcast to see if I could get a sponsor driven show from day one. And that, I, that I proved successful because I focused on conversations with CEOs and founders and it's called the vertical farming podcast. If you Google those three words from an SEO perspective, it, it is what it sounds like. It's a show about vertical farming. It's the first thing that shows up in Google. And when you look at the past list of guests, people will see CEOs, CEOs, founders, CEOs. So people are seeing their peers and the colleagues on the show and they're like, Oh, I, I probably need to be on this show. And it's sponsorship driven. It's generated over 80K in sponsorship since I've launched the show. My sponsor flew me to Dubai in October because they said, we're doing a conference on indoor farming. We want you to go and interview CEOs on the site. So it's been a completely new experience in terms of visibility in two years, just because I started in 2020, the, the visibility of intro into that space from a thought leader perspective, just by virtue of creating this platform that I then invite the who's who of that industry on. And this year I'm going to, I've been to another conference already in Vegas and then uh, I'm, and they're flying me to one in, in Germany 
for a different one. So it's been a really interesting experience, the dynamic between the two different shows. But uh, I'm all for like the power of podcasting to create this essentially virtual stage and these opportunities to meet the people that you want to be connected with. That's cool. That's cool. And you said that people have heard it already. Well, in the episodes that I've listened to a podcast junkie so far, that has not come up. So thank you for sharing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I can, I'm happy to come on your show and, and go deeper on all the specifics of it, because I think it'll be inspiring for folks to hear all the different ways a podcast can, is, can be helpful. Absolutely. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. We've got, there's been a lot of guests who also have podcasts. So like, of course, to like hear really a lot about this, the whole idea behind it is fantastic. How have you grown as a host since starting the show? I love that question. That's not a question anyone has asked me before, but I think about it a lot. <laughs> Definitely relaxing into it more. I know at least the first like 10 to 15 episodes, I was just so worried about forgetting things or, you know, in that aspect. And also, I think there's the when you watch yourself back, we're our own worst critic, right? So I was like, oh, I'm smiling too much. I'm not smiling enough. My eyes look too close. You know, like all that, just like relaxing into it. And that has really helped and letting myself enjoy it as well. That's another thing that I've realized over time that, you know, I was worried about talking too much on my own podcast. And I think it's because I'd listened to some shows over time where there, there were guests that I was really interested to hear from. And the host just kept talking and talking about themselves, which and it was just too much. So then I was scared to do any of that. I was overcompensating and like not saying anything besides asking questions, asking follow-ups. Thank you. And now there's more of a conversation happening. And of course, it depends on the guests. Some guests are more, just have a warmer, more talkative spirit than others. And there's totally benefits to both aspects, right? I've had some episodes that have been 14 minutes and amazing, and I've had 41 minute episodes. So the whole range, it really has nothing to do whether someone's verbose or talks a lot or not. It's about the content and just the spirit behind it. So just letting myself say, oh, yes, you know, that reminds me of fill in the blank and letting that conversation go has spawned such richer episodes too. So I think that's a, a big element. Yeah, it's really important, this idea. And I've learned it over the years, and it's been helpful with Podcast Junkies. Like, I wouldn't have been able to have the chops to start the second show had I not had the 280-plus interviews, like com conversations, like this long-form, hour-long format. And if you if you continuously do it, you start to learn about the importance of pulling threads, being curious, you know, or being comfortable with silence. Like, if you'll ask a, a question that requires... A, a thoughtful response, you need to give the, the guests enough space to answer it and also to decide what answer they want to give you. And you can see them thinking, they're like, should I give Harry the stock answer or should I give Harry the real answer? You know, and so, and you want, as a host, you want to hear the real answer, but you want to make sure that you've created a safe space for them and, and, and what you can do in this short period of time to let them know that this is a safe space to share. And to the extent that they can be intimate and share a personal story. You know, I love when that happens and I, and I treasure those moments because I know it's, it's not something that's easy for most people. And, and I think I, I honor like holding that space for people who have something to share that's personal. I wonder if that's happened for you in, you know, in, you said in the 80 episodes, have you had experiences when, you know, you can tell that they've gotten a, a, a bit more personal on the show? 
Oh my gosh, yes. And I'm so glad you just said what you said too, because all of that, but being comfortable with silences, the letting them have space to share what they want to share, like all of those are such important elements that I'm really glad you mentioned. And yes, I can think of one story early on. I had asked this person, she started a a nonprofit called Vocal Ease, and I'm a part of it. It's just a volunteer thing that I do here in the city. And we sing for different senior centers and, and places like that here in the city. But the woman behind it, I know that she had an interesting story of how she ended up starting the business. And she has like no social media presence or anything like that. But she has such a passion for vocal ease and helping bring joy to these senior citizens. So I asked her to be on the show and she was so nervous about it, which was interesting too, because she's someone who sings in front of all these people, but she just, she's like, I don't know, I'm being interviewed, what? And she, so many times since being interviewed has thanked me and said, I never had such a platform to share my story, nor did I think my story was that important. And yet now I feel like I have, oh, how did she word it? not a memoir, but like a, basically she was saying like, I have this recorded story that will live on that tells about what I've done and what I'm proud of and my challenges. And that was really special, very much so. Yeah. I just had uh, my previous guest on who I just recorded, a guy named Tim Bryan, and he talked about this idea of creating content that will live on past him for his kids because he's been podcasting for 10 years and it's this archival quality of having these conversations and knowing that you know we didn't have the luxury like i I try to get my parents on tape whenever i can like just to capture their voices because i realize as a podcaster like it's important to to have that and you know older cultures would have this oral culture that keeps transmitted down by generations but now we have the ability to, to actually record them and i think I think podcasters are more conscious of that because they have these conversations on a regular basis. And, you know, I've got content for myself going back to 2014, which is strange to think about. But also, if, you know, if, if you do have a family, like this is something that your kids and your future generations will be listening to as well, which I think is important. That's huge. It really is huge. And also just the idea that both of our podcasts, well, your multiple podcasts, it's all about, you know, there's an upbeat quality. We're not talking about like, oh, how we hate this or that or the other thing. So it's also things we want to live on. Right? One of the things we have to deal with also is the emails that come to us about like, I've got this great marketing sales guy who would be a great fit for your show. And I'm just like, I don't think you've done your research about what my show is about. <laughs> so that's Had something. A couple of those yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. Yep. Sure. I'm going to put on my coaching hat for a second here. If, if we were having this conversation 12 months from now, what would need to happen with your show for you to be happy with your success? I just want to keep increasing my audience. That's been like a number one goal because these people's stories are so inspiring and they cross generations, they cross industries. That's something that's been so I know, eye-opening for me is that like someone who has a very specific industry, their story is actually so relatable across so many different industries and backgrounds. So, and just in addition to expanding the audience reach, this has been a labor of love. And I am at the point where I'd love to be able to make it more of an income stream for myself, just as the personal goal. So that way, you know, I can start to throw even more resources into it and just keep finding new ways to get these people's stories out because they deserve it. 
these conversations are always fascinating for me because I, I always have like my marketing hat on and we start jamming about stuff. So we'll, we'll try not get too, too deep into the weeds for the listener here, but I'm just curious when you think about it. And it's a show for podcasters. And from day one, it's been a show about podcasting for podcasters. So we feel free to geek out on all things podcasting, which I love. I want to do mention something that I just remembered when you were speaking earlier. I heard the siren on and I actually smiled, and I, which I love because it just was a reminder of like New York City. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And I love leaving all that stuff and we're not going to take that out or even try to take it out. And I love when like snafus or I've had dogs jump into the guest's lap while they're talking. And I'm like, oh, what's your, and they're embarrassed. And I'm like, no, like, what's your dog's name? Like, because we know what happens behind the scenes. We know that like our laptop is piled on like four books and like a shoe box or that sometimes we need to record on top of a blanket or sometimes we're in a closet or sometimes we're just like doing the best we can with what we have in the moment. So oh, 100%. Oh my God. Yes. Oh yeah. Like right now I'm in front of a closet door because when my husband's working from home and not the office, again, 630 square feet. So it's either like one person's taking over the entirety of the living yeah. space and one person's in the bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally can relate. So what are you thinking about in terms of revenue models for the show? Is it CPM? Is it sponsorships? Is it redirecting people to kind of your coaching services? I had definitely been thinking more of the sponsorship. That has been what's been most present in my mind because just the idea of like affiliate links get that that just doesn't seem as efficient. The CPM, I have questions. And because it's not a fitness-based podcast, I do find that I feel like trying to make it turning people into coaching clients and things like that could be a challenge at this point unless I start to redirect either my guests and the focus of the show or moving my coaching into like doing more of like an overall life coaching. So that's why I do come back to sponsorships. Yeah. What has your experience been with? Well, the, uh, for the, this podcast, I'm grateful to be working with the, the team at Focus Right, And it's Focus Right is gear, it's microphones, it's the, the recent they just released a new sound card, the Vocaster. And so it's, I have a great relationship with Dan Hewley, who's the, the rep there, and we meet at conferences, and we've got to build up a good friendship. So it's just a natural fit. They've got a small sponsorship. And I've done one-off stuff here because it's, it's an audience of podcasters. But I think, as I've mentioned, I've, I've seen the most traction in direct sponsorship with the Vertical Farming Podcast, but it speaks to the niche power of having a focus on what people, they know what to expect. But the other thing to think about, and this is something when we produce shows for clients we talk about, is to talk about your stuff right away. Like you could go back on your show and say, this episode is brought to you by Kate Coaching or something like that. Just something, your own stuff. It could be anything you've produced, anything, your newsletter, it's brought to you by my newsletter, whatever. It doesn't have to be anything very specific in terms of like a product or an offering, but something what you're doing is conditioning the listener to know that there's a sponsorship slot there. And so over time, they start to remember. And a great way, a great format that I've heard is you do your intro, you do the music, you do a, a tease of the, sometimes you do a cold open, depending on how you edit your show. And then what you'll say is, okay, before we jump into this uninterrupted conversation with Kate, here are a few words from the folks that support this show. And then you have a slot there. And that slot, we use Captivate for hosting. It allows for dynamic ad insertion, which makes things really easy. Most hosts are starting to build that in. But the beauty of that model is you're conditioning your listeners now to know, oh, this is the part where, you know, Kate's going to have a, you know, the way you describe it, the folks that support this show. Because listeners like love the show and they want you to keep producing it. And you're showing to them, like, this is a labor of love right now. This has all been like bootstrapped or, you know, just tell your story and, and saying, by the way, starting next episode, you may hear this mention of an ad slot. Let me explain to you why that's important. 
I've been doing this show for X number of years. This is where I'm transitioning to, and I want to be able to continue to produce the show at the highest quality possible and continue to bring these guests and have, and also look for other ways that I can expand, do video, all that requires money. And as, as you might imagine, I'm not a big fan of like trying to solicit patronage directly from my listeners. So I'm looking to work with sponsors on this show and uh, that's what you'll hear. So you just educate your listeners along the way. And then people who you're speaking to people in all sorts of walks of life, people that work at companies, right? You never know when someone who is a guest or someone who is a regular listener works at a company and they're like, oh, I listened to this podcast, Be the Good with Kate. And she's mentioning she's a, she does sponsorships. I was wondering, like, maybe our company could go, like, advertise with her because I love the show, blah, blah, blah. So you, you don't never know, Kate. You just like never know where the listener, where the referral or who's listening, but you're conditioning them to... I have sponsorship slots, you know, and then as you start to have these conversations, if it is coaching, right? Like we just did today, you could say, oh, I was working with this client on this nutrition aspect. What you're doing now is you're teasing out your offer in a way that's non-intrusive and not saying buy now, buy now, buy now. You're saying I worked with a client and you're telling the story of a success they had, but in a way that's just relatable to people and they hear that, but in the back of their mind, they're like, oh, she works with clients. Oh, she does coaching. And so you're these little things you can do to start to acclimate your audience to the fact that, you know, there's other ways they can work with you. Did you enjoy this episode? Download this one page summary of the things I spoke about with Micah Kessel, for example, and how, you know, they're living a better life. What that does then is it gives them the ability to sign up for that. They can get on your email, which is one of the most important things for a podcaster, get that email list going right away. And you develop that one-to-one communication it's your list. It's your connection to them. As much as you're growing audiences on all these other platforms, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, it's rented land. Go away at any time. So as much as possible, build that relationship that you have with your listeners and start to, to educate them and, and train them on what they can do. Or would you like to, would you like to learn more? You know, here's where, where you can go to do that, you know, and, and then in the newsletter, you can slow down the conversation I'm glad you enjoyed this week's episode. It also gives people another way to remind them that the episode's published because a lot of people, there's, there's so much noise out there that they need to be reminded. But then at the bottom of the email, you could say, when you're ready, here are a few ways I can support you. You know, here's some free content on YouTube. You always lead with the free stuff. And, and then here's my book or here's my newsletter. Sign up for my free newsletter. And then, oh, would you like to work with me? Here's a an intro call. We can have 15 minute intro call to see if we're a fit. So gradually but it's all part of a system that starts to work together and you know you're thinking about it strategically in terms of where you want to be with the show how you get there and also making that list of people that you've been working with that you've mentioned products you use relationships you've had you're in corporate like you know it could be one of those companies that has a a marketing budget for wellness and maybe they want to sponsor the show because they're like this is in line with our budget for increasing you know availability and and access to resources on wellness that's great that's great oh so much to delve into i do do a weekly newsletter recap with be the good so we got that part started I'm loving the like putting in an ad slot, but make it me, especially to start. I hadn't thought that's great. That's great. And then at the end, doing the email collection, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, I'm happy to. We can have a chat offline about brainstorming some ideas for that as well. So, <laughs> so we're getting close to uh, wrapping up. A couple of questions. What is something you've changed your mind about recently? 
feel like I'm someone that goes like through analysis of every decision. So just like pick one, right? (laughs) Okay. Well, not that recently, but it's just a good one. Dog sometime in the future to we have a dog now. (laughs) He's perfect. Dogs are special. We just lost our family dog like a month ago. And I had a dog in my previous relationship as well. And it was a Yorkie and I had to put him down a year and a half ago, and then I'm in a new relationship, and my partner had a dog, same heart condition. It was really strange, but uh, she's a beautiful cocker spaniel, and she died suddenly. She's on medication, so we thought she was going to live longer, but she died suddenly. So you don't realize how big of a hole because it's just the three of us in this house, you know. So it's always that thought about like I think at some point there will be another dog because they're just incredible, incredible, like empathetic holding space creatures who are capable of unconditional love in a way that you can't even imagine. And I'm sure it's something you're experiencing as well, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's something you have to be prepared for because as, as much joy as they give you throughout the course of their lives and like be prepared for that. <laughs> Not yeah, to have you get, think about that already since you just got yours, but just kind of their family. Yeah. It's family. It's really. Yeah. Oh, and we've had, yeah. Growing up like three dogs, seeing them pass away. Yeah. Over the years, it's, it's something, but they're just, it's so worth yeah, it to have it the time with them. They really are wonderful. What's the most misunderstood thing about you? You know what? I think it's that, honestly, it's that people see that I'm so positive and optimistic that they think that I'm like just that all the time and I can't see world for as it is. So, you know, if they don't know me well, I think that first impression that can happen um, when really it's like, no, I feel it all, but I just choose to live from an optimistic outlook for sure. That makes sense. And I always ask. Okay. I love those answers. Well, Kate, I really appreciate your team reaching out and getting the schedule. There's, I love the energy you've brought to this conversation. I'm always excited when I see like a, a podcast junkies interview because essentially what I've loved about the platform is like I get to speak to people who I want to speak to, right? So, <laughs> like I always see, okay, would this be a good, this looks like it could be a good, good and fun conversation. And I think as a podcaster, you should be looking on those events on your calendar and be excited that you're about to have a conversation. You know, if you ever start dreading, then you might have to revisit whether <laughs> it's a good fit or you, or you're inviting the right people on your show. So I always appreciate it, and as a fellow podcast host, I appreciate you co-hosting with me here and then bringing the energy as well because i appreciate that as well and i really i'm grateful for you sharing your story with my audience well harry thank you so much and and it's funny i think at the end of some episodes i know when i'm recording too it's like oh if i feel like i want to go get a drink with this person that's a good <laughs> sign i'm like oh i could go to any wine bar with you any day harry yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> well if I'm, I'm in the city occasionally when i'm going to visit my folks and so uh, i'll definitely hit you up and uh i always love to meet guests in person too it's always fun yes oh it's such a neat thing and there's so much energy there too but thank you also for this great energy and just the great questions you're making me think today. <laughs> you're very welcome where's the best place for folks to connect with you and learn more Sure. You can find me at katechericello.com. I'm sure the spelling of that will be in the show notes. Yes. Yep. And then at positively underscore Kate on Instagram. Okay. Positively underscore Kate. Yep. And you've been gracious enough to provide all those links to us in the onboarding. So we'll make sure everything is included in the show notes as well. So the listeners shouldn't feel like they have to take copious notes as they're listening. (laughs) Thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it, Kate. Thank you, Harry. Thanks again to Kate for coming on the show and sharing her story. Always appreciate when guests take an hour of their special, valuable time to share what's happening in their space and in their world. Full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil, cedarsoil.com for his great list of music. 
Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Focusrite, and their awesome line of gear, specifically the Vocaster. Learn more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Vocaster. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more at fullcast.co and see if a podcast would be helpful for you and or your brand. Tune in next week for my conversation with JJ Flazanes. That one will not disappoint. Let me just give you a sneak peek into that. JJ's energy level is off the charts and we have a fantastic conversation about not just podcasting but abundance mindset and jj has a passion for what she does and that definitely comes through in our conversation you're gonna love that one if you've made it this far you're no doubt looking for this week's retention hashtag let's go with hashtag fitness kate and tag us at podcast underscore junkies on twitter and kate at positively kate p-o-s-i-t-i-v-e-l-y underscore kate thanks for all you to support the show talk to you next week